Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week was originally featured in episode 80 as part of the group representing Collective West. Kate Oponsky is the owner of Corral West Horse Adventures in Goodyear, Arizona. They offer a multitude of horseback riding adventures to include sunset rides, wagon adventures, cowboy cookouts, and a horse adventures kids program. To learn more about Corral West or to book a ride in Arizona, visit CorralWestAdventures.com. That's C-O-R-R-A-L-W-E-S-T. A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com. Now you won't have to get too far into this episode to gain an understanding of Kate's love and passion for the rescue horse. The work she has done in the field is nothing short of commendable. And all the horses used at Corral West started out as various rescues from kill pens and auctions across the U.S. I encourage you to follow Corral West Horse Adventures on social media, as well as Kate's social media at cowgirl.kate. That's C-O-W-G-I-R-L dot C-A-I-T. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with the owner of Corral West Adventures, Ms. Kate Oponsky. Sure. Well, between the apocalyptic quarantine riots, I don't know what's coming next. Maybe maybe a plague of locusts. I don't know. Our Volcano eruption in Arizona. How about that? Right, right. I, the tectonic tectonic plates are moving. It's terrifying right now. Um, I think there were UFOs over Pocatello, Idaho, and no one even cared. Yeah. Um, but the phone is starting to ring again, which is good. good news for all of the other business owners out there. The bad news for us is we did move the horses to summer pasture. We do that every year so that they have five months off in Wyoming and Utah at cooler temperatures to just relax, be horses. They worked hard all season. Yeah. So we unfortunately lost our busiest two months of March and April between spring break and spring training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited. Our phones are ringing, which hopefully that means everyone else is ready to open back up and start spending money at other small businesses. Yeah. That's great to... Uh... It's great. I mean, on many levels, A, that business is starting to pick up as far as the phone ringing. Um, it's great that you send them horses north for the summers. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Arizona with baseball. Beautiful time to be in the state in the spring training time. Uh, <laughs> but in the several weeks after spring training, it's the probably the closest thing to hell on earth because it gets so hot out there. So hot. It is hotter than the surface of the sun right yes. now. I think I think it's 115. And while I love oh. that people are calling, you know, we have to politely say to them, I'm really sorry the horses are not here. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be on a horse out on the trail anyway. Yeah. Do us a favor. Just come back late fall. We'll yeah. be here. That's incredible. So today we're going to spend time... Um, So for those of you listening for the first time, Kate was previously featured several weeks back with Collective West. Uh, Kate does some amazing work with Kilpen Horses in her business, Corral West Horse Adventures there in Goodyear, Arizona. So I wanted to spend today and talk about, I'm going to say the retread horse, right? The horse that has been passed around many times over, the horses that end up in the Kilpen. I truly believe that there's a lot of great animals out there that are not given an opportunity, Uh, not for the sake that they're a bad animal. Um, but for the sake that the human generally just doesn't want to put forth the effort to either learn or dedicate the time to to figuring out these horses. So before we get too deep into anything, let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, uh, your environment, your life around horses. And then I want to talk about Corral West and, and the passion of these kill pen horses. So how about your first early experiences with the horse, its, its influence in your life and, and how it's come to be? Sure. Well, thank you for having me back as a repeat offender. I love talking <laughs> about these guys. I, I love getting on my soapbox and championing championing them. Uh, I can't talk because I've only had one cup of coffee. Um, but being the sound piece for them, I'm I'm really good at that. Uh, I I love talking about them, what they've done for me personally, what they've done for my guests, and what they've done for some of the charitable organizations that we partner with. Um, you know, I grew up in a non horse family. I leased my first Appaloosa. His name was Dan when I was about four, I think. We did Western Pleasure, Halter, stuff like that together. A little bit of barrel racing. And 
And then in high school and college, I moved into hunter jumper and eventing in the, in the English world. Um, but to me, horses were always a privilege. They were something that, you know, folks with a little more money had, I had no idea growing up that there was this underbelly market really for horse meat. Um, you know, horse meat was made illegal slaughtering here in the U S I believe about 10 years ago. And so what that actually did supply and demand basic economics is it raised the price of horse meat and the demand abroad in Canada and Mexico. Um, so well-intended purposes actually had a ripple effect of driving the cost of meat up and actually increasing the demand for horses to be sent across the border. And so 100,000 American horses are slaughtered every year. Most of them are domesticated, broke-to-ride, gentle horses. Um, God, that is incredible. It's, it's really mind-blowing. And I had, I have always grown up with re- rescue animals, dogs, cats, things like that, but mm-hmm. I had no idea about this horse industry. And it was really horrifying the more I looked into it. So what we've been able to do, I rescued two horses on my own and they were just riding horses. We would go out trail ride together. You know, we worked through some small issues and then I purchased Corral West and my pipe dream was sort of, well, maybe I can lease experienced dude horses from other operations that are open in the summer when we're closed. And then I'll close up shop and have no responsibilities and we can rescue a few horses (laughs) here and there, use them as Wrangler horses and then adopt them out. Well, I kept rescuing horses and I kept being blown away by how gentle, safe and great they were for guests. I was going to say, sometimes the line is blurred between collection and hoarding, right? Correct. I am a crazy horse lady, but <laughs> I do use them to generate revenue instead of, you know, just bleeding money on hay. Yeah, so I appreciate that, that. They definitely earn their keep. And when they're too old to work, like the younger ones, we hold on to them. And I know a lot of operations don't do that. But when they come to us, if we don't find them a great adoptive home, they're with us until the end. And that's really important to me. So with your early experience in some of these rescue animals, right, and you taking a chance on the rescue horse, was that just because of your experience with other rescue animals or was there something, was there a deeper purpose or a deeper drive for you in taking a chance on these rescue horses? Sure. So I, I think that answer is twofold. What I had found with rescue dogs is that there is, there is no bad dog. Mm-hmm. There is no dog that has done anything to deserve to end at a kill shelter. Um, and so, you know, I guess the horse is just a bigger version of that. Like yeah. you said earlier yeah. to your point, it's just misunderstanding it's not a good fit sometimes between the person and the animal lack of training in the beginning, you know, groundwork on a young horse is just as important as training your puppy effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess on a, on a micro level, the dogs made me realize we could probably do the same thing for these horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first kill pen rescue, and I saw him on Facebook and I was like, for sure, this is a scam, right? I'm going to PayPal this money. I'm never going to see this work. <laughs> what the hell? I've never even heard of a kill pen before. Yeah, yeah. I, like, take take my money and let's cross your fingers and hope for the best. But my very first kill pen horse, I saw him on Facebook and fell in love with him. He was in uh, the Carolina feedlot. Um, he looked just like Dan, my first Appaloosa I talked about. And he just really spoke to my heart. And so he's in our logo now with Corral West because it's because of him and how great he is. He's my therapy lesson horse for autistic kids now. He takes foster kids out on the trail. He's the best horse I've ever owned. And and so all the rest of the horses after him owe it to him and his name's Zane. You know, it's funny. It's it's funny hearing you describe this horse, right? In in, in a kill pen <laughs> horse and now how it's how it's serving a bigger picture, you know, and and it aligns with a lot of what we do here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast in trying to help with mental health, right, and human performance. There's a lot of people that are just weighed down, changed, uh, influenced in a negative manner by the circumstances of life. Oftentimes, there are circumstances we have zero control over as a human being, right? But they redefine you. They rewrite your impression of yourself. And before you know it, you know, a lot of people fall into depression, anxiety, alcoholism, abusive situations or relationships, right? Um, It doesn't mean these are bad human beings, right? And I try to tell people just because life has happened, life does not define who you are. And I think the horse is a great vehicle. And it's been conveyed so many times on the show, right? The horse is a great vehicle to provide a rebirth of that person's natural disposition and the incredible human being you are, or, or, or they are. And here you are on a similar mission with the horse. And I think these broken horses have so much to give. It's just how do we overcome, and maybe this is more rhetorical of a question in nature, but how do we overcome the challenges 
or the stigma around, well, it's a kill pen horse, because question number one is, well, what's wrong? They're obviously in a kill pen for a reason. Yeah. I, you know, that, that is probably the number one thing I hear from other equestrians time and time and time again is, well, they must have done something to, to deserve to be there. They must be old. They must be crazy. They must be lame. Um, and that's, couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, I've, I've pulled weanling AQHA bred from here to Jesus babies out of the direct ship lot just because really? of overdrinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tend to like the old bruised skinny, the fixers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. A lot of, we, yeah. We have, that's just my nature, but we have been able to pull some really nice, well-bred babies and young horses, get them rehabbed, adopt them out for a pretty good chunk of money so that we can go back and get some of those ones that other people won't Can't take get it. a hold of. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's part of our mission too, is using the horses that we do have to do amazing things. Put guests on, put dudes on that have never been on a horse before. Take them into the back country and take pictures. You know, our rescues have been featured on Wrangler, Stetson. That really warms my heart because they are changing the stigma one horse at a time. Uh, you know, we've provided horses for Boot Barn. You know, and it's hard for me not to cry seeing them being featured in these mainstream Western media outlets, knowing where they came from. I, I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you describe it and understanding uh, maybe it's because. Uh... I have a different view of, of the man hours that goes into a horse, right? Especially some of these, we call them retreads, right? Where people, <laughs> people ride them off. And yeah. we did talk a little bit off air about like, it'd be nice to get to a point where people are willing to take a chance. And, and I don't mean blindly take a chance. I mean, articulately and an educated approach to fixing these horses, because I mean, I had the question asked to me many times, why do you put, you have only so many hours on earth, right? Why do you put all this time into a horse that somebody's written off? And all those man hours that you put into that horse, you could be so much farther down the road with a young horse or a horse that hasn't had so many issues. And right. to be honest, like I can't answer the question correctly because they're <laughs> right. You know, I could be I... so much farther along, but my heart lies with these horses. Uh, I think it's because of the personal experience that I have with the horse, well, the first rope horse all... that I bought, you know. Yeah, we, we all deserve a second chance. And I think yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I grew up with parents who were always rescuing shelter dogs and maybe it's just ingrained in who I am. But, you know, I see these guys and all of us have been written off at one point or another by someone or mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. We've all hit rock bottom, you mm -hmm. know, and to me, these horses are no different. And I think I think you should share your story, too, because I know we're sort of kindred spirits in the yeah. in the retread throwaway. Yeah. yeah. So it was just interesting for me because. The horse that I, I bought, um, I was told it would be the horse that would get me to the next level. Now looking back, I wasn't even on the first level. So if you're not on the first level, I don't know how you get to the second level, but that's a different conversation for another day. But when I purchased this horse, I was told, hey, you can't do this, that, and the other, right? Um, don't turn him out because you can't catch him. Sometimes he's high-headed and he just doesn't walk anywhere. We went to the actual pre-purchase before I bought this horse and literally could not get the horse to go to the right on a lunge line. So we couldn't even finish an exam basically um, because there are so many stigmas placed on this horse and and it's a it, he was a head horse and I've talked about this horse many times on the show before and he was he was a single function horse he was a head horse go straight go left go as fast as you can and you're done right and in riding this horse it didn't take long not even being a horseman at that point not even trying to understand the horse just being a former athlete you I didn't feel the partnership I felt right. like there's just too much performance anxiety for this horse. I felt like the horse had the feeling that he had to be at his, at the top of his game. And if he didn't, he was going to get whooped. I don't know the horse's history. Okay. I don't know if he was abused or not. I don't know if he was running to the ground or not. Um, I knew very little about the horse, but once I started to get into horsemanship and really, really focus on myself and my presentation to that animal and how that horse should be perceiving me, it's incredible. I put my children on that horse. And he loves him. I mean, just today, the wife got back with the kids and we had a whole bunch of little kids around this horse and he's safe and he's trustworthy and he's everything that they say he couldn't be. But it was because of a lot of blood, sweat and tears on my part, struggling, nice. trying to find myself out and how I fit in this horsemanship world and then trying to understand this, this broken spirit. 
That's that's awesome. And it's so inspiring. And I appreciate you sharing his story because I think sharing these individual stories of the horses and sharing their names and where they came from and how far they've come, that's how we break the stigma. Yeah. You know, because because the figure of a hundred thousand faceless, nameless horses getting shipped to slaughter each year yeah. doesn't resonate with people. Yeah. But sharing the story of Zane and and your horse and Blackjack, yeah. who was the most gentle kill pen horse I've ever owned and probably had given someone else thirty of his best years to be thrown away like garbage. That's where it's, it's just crazy. That's where it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So let's get into, if you don't mind, I want to kind of get into sure. the process of how this takes place to kind of help educate people of, of the progression. And then, you know, kind of inspire some folks if they want to look into this process, how, how they gain a more credible education. So let's talk about just the acquisition of horses. How do you find them at first and, and kind of, I don't know, do you have a method of triaging horses or how do you go about your selection process? Sure. Well, uh, thank you for the opportunity to walk through it. It's it's sort of a multifaceted approach. We First of all, we, we try to purchase from the kill buyer as a very last-ditch resort um, because they do sort of broker and middleman. They pick horses up for cheap off Craigslist for free, free to a good home on Facebook, at auction for cheap, especially right now with COVID. No mm-hmm. one's attending mm-hmm. auctions because everyone is locked down at home. Um, but the kill buyer, we try when we have to work with them, we try to give them bare bone meat market price so that we're not lining their pocket any further. Uh, but we do try to cut them off at the past by being at those auctions that they're present at. Um, Elkhart's one in Texas, Cleborn auction in Texas. That's where a lot of the big kill buyers purchase from. Um, and also watching Craigslist local auctions and those free to a good home horses on your horse networks on Facebook, social media. Um, and there are, there are auction houses and kill pens that I trust more than others. You know, I would tell people, and I'm happy to answer any questions, please slide into my DMs. This is my love language. I am happy to walk you through it. But always make sure that there's a video of the horse, pictures of, you know, front, side, back, hooves, all of that, just so you have a really good idea of what you're getting into. And then the second step would be working with a rescue partner that's there on the ground. Uh, we work with Hoof and Souls, Melanie Witherspoon in Kaufman, Texas, pretty frequently. She picks up the horses, quarantines them for us, gets them started on Exceed, does the preliminary vet exam for me, and then we coordinate transport. I used to go to the kill pens myself, and for obvious reasons, I am not allowed to do that anymore because <laughs> I, <laughs> I would go to pick up two and come home with ten. So I have been grounded from that. So I appreciate my friend. I was going to say, does your boyfriend send you down there with the bumper pull instead of the gooseneck? Yeah, neck? he's like, uh, we're buying you a two horse again, and we're going to fill the other side with alfalfa, so you can't shove uh, anyone up yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and and I, I appreciate that. I know your wife is probably the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, he balances me out. He keeps me sane. Oh, he you makes- need that support. Absolutely. You do. Otherwise, I would be the crazy horse hoarder with 75 yeah. Yeah. old old crippled horses. Um, so our friend Jen McCleave, who runs a rescue and rescue transport to here in Arizona, she usually brings them to us from Texas to Arizona. She also goes on to California, like you and I were talking about. Mm-hmm. The 10 is a great straight shot down into California. Yeah. Um, and then we usually do about another 30-day quarantine here with our vet. Just keep them on exceed. Get everybody fattened up and healthy. Get the initial farrier visit done. Get teeth done. Um, our dentist, Landon, is actually a graduate from the Heroes and Horses program. Oh, so really? Talk about, yeah. yeah. So talk about another organization that is helping horses to help people. Yeah. And we love Brandon. Landon. He's so patient with our horses. He's so patient with the rescues. Um and then we we move them into getting them started as a Wrangler horse if they're broke to ride to some extent. Otherwise, we start with groundwork if they're totally, totally fresh or if they're somewhat green. And then eventually they'll move on to guest horses. So how do you address these horses, right? Because there's always the apprehension of you don't know what you're buying. You don't know the horse's history. Um are there things that you do to safeguard yourself against the violent, aggressive horse? Or if you are faced with that horse, um, what are some of the things that you do to or have done to address that? Sure. So so knock on wood, and this is a testament to the quality animals that are ending up in shitty situations, for lack of a better word. Knock mm-hmm. on wood. We've really only had one maverick. His name was Judge. I pulled him from a, a dishonest kill pen. I've gotten some really great horses from this pen. I've also gotten some very not as advertised. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's Kaufman kill pen. I call him the Kaufman special. Mm -hmm. Um, He got here, blew his winter coat, and he had rough stock brands all over him. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I spent a lot of money sending him to a very specified trainer who whose expertise was in rough stock because that was way above any of our pay rate, yeah. pay rate yeah. you know. Um, and ultimately, ultimately, he didn't work out for us, but we were able to adopt him out. But really, he was one out of 56 horses I personally pulled that was a real challenge. Kind Everyone of- else... It was minor, minor attitude adjustment, a little head shy, needed work on their feet. I, I mean, very minimal effort mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for everyone else, which is amazing. And I was going to say, when you look at the law of averages, all right, that's that's more than manageable. You know, you're looking at 2%, 2.5% of the horses that you're exposed to. Oh, absolutely. Um, going it's sour. Uh, so in, in your experience in working with these horses – what is the timeline? And I know every horse is different, right? Some take take longer and some may progress faster than others. But what is a typical timeline on the actual recovery of this horse? We talked about the quarantines a little bit, the recovery of this horse, the training process to where this horse is a rideable, usable, productive member of the, the Ramuda. You know, on the on the conservative end, I was I was assuming let's give them about a year. Mm-hmm. So rescue, transport, quarantine, rehab, train. Wrangler time a year, but honestly, it's about two to three months. And that is insane. It I is never insane. even would have thought I mean, of that. I mean, two to three months from rescue to we could put a guest on you really? tomorrow. It, and it is mind wow. mind blowing. And I am not a horse trainer. I have some very talented people around me, and and they're all women usually that are good horse trainers. Mm-hmm. And it's because most of these horses just need confidence. They need to be restored back to health, and they need to know that they're safe where they're at. Yeah. And and that works wonders. And, you know, a lot of it's trust and learning from the other horses and buddying up and, and having a trustworthy tail to follow. The, the, it's really mind, mind-blowing. You know, you get stuck in the daily grind, but when you sit back and you ask me that question, it, mm-hmm. it just hit me that, wow, it's pretty astonishing. Yeah, I was going to say that's next to no time, realistically. I mean, in the grand scheme, is a, you, you buy a purebred horse, right? It's going to be right. several months before it's online. So in your experience, uh, you talked about having trainers and stuff. Do you, do you let these horses be horses at some point? Cause I, I've heard of stories and scenarios where sometimes horses need attitude adjustments, right? That's just, it is what it is. They're just a bad seed or, or a bitter soul. And you turn that horse out with a herd and that herd obviously will do their job and, and put that horse in line. And then you turn around and take that horse back out and, and it seems to be in a better headspace. Have you seen, have you seen more of an influence of herd dynamics in trying to get these horse, some of these problem horses correct, or can most of them tolerate a human being pretty well? Most of them uh, that we rescue are the been there, done that, older gelding types. But, okay. but yes, the herd dynamic is, a, is an amazing tool. A lot of times they learn from the horses that have been rescued previously, and I'm, I'm a huge believer in, A, not starting – them under saddle aggressively until they're four mm-hmm. when we do get young ones in for, for that same reason. You mm-hmm. know, I think they mm-hmm. need, they need to grow joints need to fuse. Their brain needs to be fully developed for what we yeah. do. You know, well, I, I understand the futurity thing and starting jockey club, jockey club babies young. Um, and then I'm also a huge proponent of going to summer pasture. I need a break. They need a mental break. They need five months to just be horses. And honestly, when we round everyone up in Utah and Wyoming and bring them back, I could put a guest on them day one. Really? You know, we have the round pen for new horses, but I, yeah, I don't have yeah. horses that need lunging before we take them out. Um, almost everyone you can walk up, put a halter on them and catch them. Uh, it's it, it really is amazing. And it's my staff is fantastic. The horses are fantastic. And the veteran horses are fantastic. It's incredible to see the progression all take place. And, and I've always been astonished with when you work when you meet that horse where they're at, right, and you meet the needs of that horse and you talk about, right, getting these horses fed correctly, getting their teeth done, their feet done, making them a healthy, sound horse, and then not only physically healthy, but focusing on the mental health of the horse and not just driving a nail day in and day out trying to get them in shape or get them ready for any kind of a timeline or deadline. It's incredible to hear those types of stories, right, where, oh, God, this horse has sat for a year and you pull it out of pasture and throw a saddle on it and get right back to it because – that horse's association or assimilation with the activity is so positive that it's something that they seek out and are willing to go to versus the burden of having to get saddled, getting the guts kicked out of me, get my face ripped on and then turn out. <laughs> Absolutely. And and it's gotten to the point now, 56 horses later where I can watch videos and read descriptions and know if that horse is going to be a good fit for us. Really? That's incredible experience though. I mean, so, so how long have you had Corral West? 
We'll be moving into our fifth season. Okay. So I purchased Corral West as an existing business from mm-hmm. a couple that was retiring. Um, and it, it was sort of their second location. I, I don't think it was very busy, sort of failing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I never thought that I could have a, a herd entirely comprised of rescue horses and A, have my insurance cover me and B, yeah, no kidding. Have, have the safety track record that we have. And, you know, sometimes I see a whole string of them going out and I get, I get teary eyed because I'm just so proud of them. And, and being able to prove people wrong is just something that I love to do for them. <laughs> I think for all of us with a type A personality, there's some <laughs> some of that exists somewhere on some level, right? Tell tell me right. I can't it's, watch what happens. Right. It's it's the challenge. And granted, none of them are performance horses. I've rescued horses and sent them to friends who are performance horse trainers and they've gone on to do amazing things. But as far as our core group of thirty horses, you know, we don't ask them to do anything crazy, but guests can open a rain jacket on their back or be rifling in their purse and taking pictures. And, you know, they'll ground tie when we take photos of the guests, just average everyday, good, solid horse manners is something that they all have. But when you look at like, when you look at things in the horse world, in the Western world from the big picture, right? The horse that you described is far more versatile than any futurity horse that wins a big reigning competition or, I mean, you even get into rough stock, right? And bucking horse of the year and this, that, and right. the other, right? That's such a specific niche market. And the lion's share of human beings can't even ride. I can't ride that well to be able to ride a, a top reigning horse, you know? Right. Um, so You're if, right. if, <laughs> if we're talking about influencing the masses, then your horses are dead on. They're the ones that are going to change the perception. They're the ones that are going to inspire others, not only for the rescue horses, but for uh, brand ambassadors for the Western industry, for Arizona, for spring training, for whatever it might be. You know, it's a, it's a, I guess it's a far more powerful movement than the quote unquote fancy horse. Absolutely. And it's so hard for me when a good home reaches out and we know them, we've done the vet checks, we've done the farrier reference checks. We know them personally. It's hard for me to say no to a little girl's first horse being one of the rescues that we put the mile and time into. And there's always more horses to be saved. You know, I I personally can't save 100,000 horses a year. So the best thing I can do, it's it's really a mind-numbing amount of animals, really. And Mm -hmm. and I'm not vegan, pita, any of that. (laughs) You know, but I have friends in the beef industry and the horse slaughter industry does not have to follow the same humane ethic requirements that friends in the pork and beef industry do. Interesting. Uh, and so it's 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 a pretty grisly end for these horses. So if I can ex- exponentially adopt horses out, have them be ambassadors elsewhere, that mm-hmm. that's a win in my book, even mm-hmm. if it's hard to say goodbye to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and we've touched on this very briefly, and I want to go into to greater detail as far as Corral West, right, and your acquisition. What were your first hopes and dreams with this? Um, what were kind of some of your early challenges or early lessons in being a business owner, let alone all the work that you're doing with these, with these horses? You know, I think, I think the biggest challenge for me was being in my own head and assuming that I couldn't, I couldn't do what I wanted to do as far as rescuing horses on such a large scale. Uh, you know, I had sort of minimized myself to, well, I'll have two or three rescues at the Wranglers ride, and then I will lease experienced dude strings from other people who are closed for the, for the winter months. And then we just kept rescuing and rescuing and being able to put it, put guests on them. And last year was our first year where we were entirely rescue horses. We own them all. We've rescued them all. We no longer lease horses that we don't know where they're coming from, who they are, how they're, how well they're taken care of. So honestly, I think, you know, my advice for anyone out there is would 11 year old you be proud of where you are? Yeah, that's a heck of a question to answer. It is, or 16-year-old you, you yeah. know, because sometimes I think the older we get, the more we minimize our own capabilities. It's true. One of my mentors uh, in my career, we had a conversation this several years ago, and it totally stuck with me, and we talked about children, right? When kids grow up, we tell them they can be anything they want to be, right? You want to be a doctor, lawyer, nurse, astronaut, whatever. But when as adults do we stop dreaming? Right. Like, and, and I When was do in we the think that we can't do it? I was in the same track. I, I, you know, I used to beat myself up because I didn't go to law school or I hadn't, haven't run for office yet. And then you take a step back and you realize maybe the little things that I'm doing now are more impactful and actually making a difference more than if I had pursued those dreams that I thought I had. It's true. It's true. And I, I've run a parallel journey in that. And, uh, there's ways that I, 
I guess the path that I've traveled in life never did I dream of. It wasn't, none of it was in the cards, in the plans, any of it. And, uh, God, I would say probably my early twenties to mid to late twenties. Like I struggled a lot with it because I wasn't happy where I was at. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Uh, looking back, I was like the pouty little kid, right? I didn't get what I wanted. So I was butthurt and couldn't get out of my own way on a lot of things. And the horse provided a lot of clarity to help me get back on track per se. But now for me and my faith, right? Giving, giving a lot of this to God and understanding that you are responsible for what he has given you. I don't know. I feel like a I feel a stronger obligation to be a better steward of my opportunities. Uh, this show being one of it, right? Like God granted me an awesome opportunity to meet a horse. Uh, that horse is less than desirable in the performance horse world, but all the opportunities that, that horse has created for me to travel all across the United States and Canada and meet some of the, literally some of the greatest horse people on earth. It's a direction my life probably never would have gone if I had that, Fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar head horse that was turnkey. Yeah. Yep. And and someday, you know, I know you're a dad and well what's the what's the saying? If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. I am yeah. certainly <laughs> not where I thought I would be. And actually yeah. now now thanks to these rescues and, and having a clear mission and vision, I'm happier than I've ever been. I have I, I know my path, I know my purpose, and, mm-hmm. and that brings me great joy. But someday when I have kids, I want my kids to be able to go to PRCA events on a shitty rescue horse and clean house. Yeah. Yeah. Just to say, I told you so. I don't have any desire to do that now. You know, my my friend Summer is an amazing barrel racer and my friend Molly's an amazing all around cowgirl. But I'm like, I am too old. I don't want to go sit (laughs) all weekend when I could have guests at the ranch and be making money and spend a few hundred dollars at a jackpot. That's stupid to me. Um, But I'm a competitor too. And in the future, I would love for my kids to show up with a thrown away horse and kick ass, you know, ultimately that is the goal for me. And you can't ride papers and anyone can buy an expensive horse that is designed for that purpose. But for me, it's awesome to take the throwaway horse, repurpose them and make them damn good horses. Yeah, It's a lot of work, but I think it carries a lot more pride. And I I don't know. I, I, yes, there's, I guess there's a little bit more confidence when you buy that papered horse, right. Coming out of good genetics, but I mean, it's genetics, right? You run a risk in all of it just because the genetics are there. doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. Absolutely. And, and if, if that is your cup of tea, more power to you. And and again, I'm, I'm happy to help you. There are great papered horses that turn up at auction and kill pens all the time. Um, so that's another thing that, that we've gotten good at too, is as we've built our rescue network, we can help each other and, and our acquaintances find the perfect horse for them. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that, that reach, right. And that network. It takes a village. You know, we had a group of three 501c3s in our network uh, about two days ago. And in 24 hours, we raised enough money to bail 10 horses from a kill lot. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Wow. We had four broodmares, one of them with twins, and Holy another smokes. buckskin mare who'd been trampled on the way to the kill pen. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's so empowering to bring all these people together and in, make our impact that much more exponential because you can't do it by yourself. Oh, absolutely not. And actually, that's a great segue. Um, when we were talking in Collective West and uh, in that episode, we talked about sometimes it's hard to step back as a small business owner, right? And let mm-hmm. the experts do their job. So I'd like to kind of touch on, I know we talked about in that in that episode and even off air how you had so much ownership of Corral West, right? It was your baby. It was everything that you wanted to get done. But you found out that almost taking a step back provided the business a greater opportunity to grow. So let's talk about that progression as far as a small business management and and almost allowing experts to come in and do what they're good at. Sure. Well, all of my small business owners out there, you know, it's blood, sweat, and tears. It is literally your baby. And it's really hard to let go. I'm not a control freak by any means, but I I built the business. I've brought the rescues back, some of them from, I didn't think they'd make it. And it's hard to not take it personally. But the best thing I ever learned was, was delegate. Delegation is your best friend. There's someone out there who can do the things that you are not, that are not your comparative advantage for cheaper and for less time. And as a business owner, your time is money. And that time that you're spending, I, I am not, I am technologically challenged. So for me, it's that makes I always two go of to, us. Go. <laughs> oh, like, like looking at a website design gives me anxiety. Yeah. So 
instead of Caitlin, myself trying to figure out how the heck do I work Wix or Square or or Squarespace or whatever, Mm -hmm. why don't I just pay someone to do it? The product is going to be better. My time is better spent doing something else. And ultimately, the customer is going to be able to navigate a website that is done correctly. Mm -hmm. And I'm ultimately going to make more money. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough, though, because like we talked about in that episode, like money going out the door (laughs) is first perceived as an expense, right? And I just recently did that. I made a relatively significant purchase and it really, really sucks to see all that money disappear. But if you start to look at things as an investment rather than an expense, uh, it makes it a lot more tolerable. And and genuinely, we purchased a tractor here on the ranch. Uh, That What that tractor is going to save me in man hours of labor is going to pay itself off a thousandfold if you consider a dollar for dollar return on what I would be paying for a man hour of work versus jumping in that tractor and getting that same job done. Absolutely, but it's it still stings. Don't get oh, me wrong. Yeah. Oh it, yes, it, it does. Still burns. But the other thing I, that we've tried to start doing is billing my time as a business owner at a hundred dollars a day, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to take rides out myself, and then I realized as business owner, my time is better spent. I, I have amazing wranglers that have been with me since season one who are more than capable, if not more capable, of taking guests out. Why am I doing that when I could be answering the phone, working on a marketing plan, reaching out to charities we want to work with, rescuing more horses? It, but it is it is really hard to let go because it is a, a penny saved is a penny earned, but also mm-hmm. a penny mm-hmm. invested is multiplied into more yeah. for your bottom line. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. So let's talk about the specific sir. I mean, and we I know we talked about it in, briefly, but let's talk about what Corral West has to offer clients as far as experience coming out for rides and things of that sort. Sure. So I, I would say we we specialize in beginner trail rides. Most of our guests are a family with a six-year-old. None of them have ever been on a horse. And I really love that. Uh, we do offer more scenic experience rides up to two, three hours. We can do overnight trips, but we don't get a lot of requests for them. Mm-hmm. So most of our most of our trips are just day ride, uh, scenic, tourist, one hour, hour and a half loop. Plus, I have quite a few old boys and we buy butte and bulk from the vet. So I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also do therapeutic riding lessons, traditional beginner Western lessons. We also have a venue space where we have cowboy cookouts. We do cowboy poetry. Rudy's Barbecue gets catered in, which I know is a Texas original. Um, <laughs> disclaimer, uh, with s'mores afterwards and people can BYOB. So we have a really great Western feel venue. I'd like to get into weddings. Um, we also host heroes and horses. We do an annual fundraiser for them every year. Um, which is, which is great. It gets people exposure to our rescues, BLM Mustang rescues and what, what horses do for veterans and other people. And that's a a huge driving force here on this show. Is it I mean, what some of these horses can teach a human in a far less threatening manner than the stigma of having to go to a psychologist or psychiatrist, it's just absolutely, it's absolutely incredible, you know, and there are those clinical experiences where people need that higher level of care, but oftentimes people just experience the bumps and bruises of life, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. those bruises are a little big, a little bigger, a little deeper, last a little longer, whatever it may be, but that horse can provide active real time feedback as far as mindfulness goes to to understand where the human being is at emotionally and i can't even i can't even begin to describe some of the moments and some of the experiences watching people straighten themselves out and that light bulb moment um, just from working with a horse on very very simple stuff you you know what probably the most amazing culmination of all of that uh is at our heroes and horses event you know we have veterans who get to speak on what the mustangs did for them out in the backcountry of montana you know for mm-hmm. weeks on end mm-hmm. and it was far more powerful than any traditional therapy cb cbt treatments yeah. that they've gotten at the va or or through a shrink or whatever and then also we have the blm at our event with horses that have been broken by prisoners at our florence prison here in arizona and so watching those inmates take so much pride in the horse that they've started broke and are now ready to adopt out it's it's just a really powerful night plus there's drinks and music so it, it's always <laughs> a good night and food trucks oh, but at I the end it. of the day like watching these 
hard, badass guys that are veterans, inmates, you know, doing time and, and how the horse has brought them back. It's, it is truly special. Yeah. I I don't even know how to articulate it correctly. No, it's one of those things like, and we talk about it a lot on the show and, and I, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that a lot of our followers, they get it right. They've either experienced it themselves. They're seeking the experience or they know somebody that should, should at least give it a shot. And, uh, it's an incredible thing. And, and that's what we have to do in this horsemanship community, right? Is is band together and push the mission and push push the goal and support each other in each and all of these ventures because there's there's just far too much to it to know it all. There's far too much to it to be able to do it all. And uh when it all comes down to it, we're not that far apart. We're not that different. No, we're we're all in this together and I think we can all agree that the Western way of life is, is in jeopardy mm-hmm. and I want it, I want it to live long and prosper and I want it to be around for the next generation and the generation after that. And I want to introduce it to people who have never had any access to that sort of lifestyle before. Mm-hmm. And I just feel very blessed to be able to save horses and do that simultaneously. It is incredible. It is incredible. So let's talk about individuals that want to get involved on a greater level, right? Let's say they hear this, the content of this episode and, and they're inspired. How would they go about reaching out to you? How would they get a hold of you? Um, what would you be willing to help them with? Sure. Um, well, I'm happy to share my cell phone number or on Instagram. I'm at cowgirl.kate, C-A-I-T. I get messages every day about people who want to help or donate. And, and I'm so thankful every time because even a $5 donation gets us that much closer to covering the next bail or being able to show up at auction and intercept a horse before the kill buyer gets him. Um, but I would, I would really encourage people, you know, for your first experience, reach out to a local rescue. They've probably already pulled horses from the kill pen. They've done the quarantine. They've done the transport. So your cost is going to be significantly less than going from start to finish kill pen to your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those rescues are 501c3s. So you have a great tax write off. You know, I know. I hate paying more taxes than I have to. So anytime I can get a deduction, it's a it's a double bonus. Yeah. But I'm happy to answer any questions or if there's something specific that you're looking for that our network can keep our eyes peeled to find the perfect horse for you. We're happy to do it. That's incredible. So what does the future hold for Corral West? I mean, I know you talked about, hey, two or three horses, Wranglers ride, lease everything out. Now we're at 56 horses rescued. Where's the ceiling? <laughs> You know, I think I I like keeping the number that we're at because we've actually built a pretty great network of adopters and prospective adopters and our name is getting out there slowly but surely. So I love to get in new horses, rehab them, keep them if they're great for us or help them transition to their forever, forever home. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I would eventually like to own property or a summer location so that the rescues have a permanent home outside of Arizona. Mm -hmm. That's that's the next most important thing for me. (laughs) I was going to say that Arizona summer. Whoa. No one wants to be here, not even the devil in the summer. Yes, yes. That's what I tell people. When we used to go out there, we'd primarily stay in the Scottsdale area. I'm like, Scottsdale is a great place to be before like 9 a.m. Yeah, and I'm I'm from the Midwest and that whole it's a dry heat thing, it only gets you so far. Yeah. Hot is hot. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the <laughs> truth? So the, so the next goal would be, you know, COVID kind of took the wind out of our sails. We normally have a really great spring and strong. Um, so for this year, we're hunkering down so that we're ready to open in the fall. But eventually, we'll, we'll buy some property that's a sanctuary where the horses can go in the summer. Mm-hmm. That's great work. Great work. Great work. So I guess in your journey, right? Um, oftentimes, I wrap shows talking about freedoms, you you have the perspective of of many many broken horses quote unquote broken horses. Um, you have the life experience of being a small business owner. So, in this endeavor, when we talk about the rescue horse world, maybe what were some of your unforeseen challenges that you faced? How did you overcome those? And and what advice would you share to help an individual coming up down the same path, maybe a few years behind you? Sure. Uh, well, I think first and foremost, nothing worthwhile comes easy. And I think that's sort of been the overarching theme. You know, it's easy Mm -hmm. to have a pipe dream and a plan and to put it into action, but you can never anticipate the hiccups I would say. And I know I'm probably preaching to the choir 
what's going on this year, 2020. I, I wish we could have just fast forwarded through all of it. Um, you know, I had always assumed we would be busy every spring with spring break visitors coming to the Phoenix area and spring spring training fans coming and going to catch a ball game and then coming to ride with us. Um, so, you know, always having that, that nest egg to keep you protected so that you can hunker down and get through. That's the best thing you can do. But, but I think, and Jason, you and I have talked, when you know your mission and your purpose and your vision and your North star, you can get through any hiccup. It's just a different route of getting there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, like work with working with horses, period, right? You have to be somewhat of a glutton for punishment. It is a challenging, challenging field. Um, it's a field that requires a lot of self-reflection. It's a field inundated with people that are quote unquote experts that probably aren't. Um, so you got to sort through all of those messes, you know, but I, I completely agree with you. When you are on the right track or you have found your passion or your purpose, even amidst challenges, and we'll talk about COVID and all the civil unrest because that's kind of the political <laughs> state of this country. To me, none of it matters. If you're on a war path and this is where your heart lies, whatever the challenge is, challenge accepted. Now, it's going to take creativity. It's going to take calling audibles. It's going to take panic and heartbreak and misery. But if this is where your heart lies and this is what you're passionate about, and this is what you believe God has put you on earth to do, then it will get done. It will get done. You just have to have the faith and stay persistent. And I try to tell people, uh, you cannot get to the top of any ladder unless you put your foot on the first rung. 100%. And, and you know, I think sometimes God gives you those signs that you're heading in the right, right direction. Um, you know, we have a gal who was nonverbal autistic who had been taking writing lessons with Zane for a long time, for probably two years, and had never said a word to me, never said a word to Jeannie, who does our therapy lessons. And one day, I, I could have sworn I was hearing something. She turned around with her helmet still on and looked at him and said, I love you, Zane. And you I was be like, kidding me. My, the very first rescue, you know, I rescued him because he looked like my horse. You know, to hear that while we're going through such a difficult time financially with COVID and unexpected things, you know, sometimes you get that lifeline or that life preserver that gets thrown yeah, to you. Yeah. And, you know, we, we all need that sometimes because just because you know your mission doesn't make it any easier or the path that much clearer. Uh, it just helps you stay focused, but yeah. it doesn't make it any simpler. What incredible affirmation to drive that point home, right? And like you said, just because it's, it's your mission and your goal and where your passion lies does not mean it's going to be a cakewalk, does not mean it's all going to come to you, right? There's always going to be adversities and challenges. And that's kind of what this show, this show was never really meant to inspire or motivate, right? That, I believe that's in everybody. What this show was intended to do is to show people that we are not that far off. And I guarantee somebody has had a similar experience to you. And if if you, Kate, could share your experiences that might inspire somebody else, then great. We've all won in that matter, you know, and and uh, it's just incredible to watch the ripple effect, right? And the networks start to come come to be. And what makes me more more proud than anything else is I couldn't even tell you how many alumni now have podcasts, right, with their specific industry twist. Or right. um, I had a guest on the show early on. Uh, she's a horsewoman from Israel. She interned with another guest from South Dakota, right? They go down to Art of the Cowgirl together um, in Arizona there last year. Like, it's incredible to watch the circle just tighten and tighten and tighten. And as it starts to tighten, uh, the momentum is just growing exponentially. It's just really, really cool to sit back and watch. And it's fun to – and we talked about being the big star off air. To me, I, I the recognition doesn't necessarily matter. What's important is getting the people to help and getting the exposure and whether I help them or you help them, whether I get credit for it or you get credit for it, what matters is the help was the help was received, right? And the life has been changed. Absolutely. And every horse that is rescued because of our efforts, it, it doesn't have to be by me. That's, you know, I, I just want to be the driving force that the champions for them. And so for every rescue horse that that is heard about because of us, that's a huge victory for me. Um, you know, we sent out 100 Save a Horse Rider Rescue stickers in the last two days and those are a hundred people that didn't know kill pen horses existed or that's that crazy. And you know, so sometimes you just have to take a step back and realize that's a hundred people that didn't know, yeah. you know, would I, like, would I like it to be a thousand? Absolutely. Would I like horses to not ship to slaughter every day? Absolutely. But baby steps, like you said, the first step on the ladder is the most yeah. important. Yeah. 
It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I got to place my order too. get some stickers sent out this way. So I'll send, <laughs> I'll send you, you some, I'll, say, I'll send you some money and we'll, we'll get squared up on that. But I'll tell you what, Kate, it's been inspirational to talk to you. Um, it's a whole side of the horse world. I mean, I've heard of, right? I can't say that I know it existed. I didn't know the ins and the outs of it, but to hear your successes in it, to hear your passion and fire, when we initially had that conversation several weeks ago with the folks at Collective West, I knew this was, this was something that the horse world needed to hear. It's a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and, and a lot of anguish working with some of these horses, but what we as human beings can give back to these horses and these horses in turn give back to other human beings, I think it's a momentum that needed one more voice, you know, and if we can get a few more people to hear it, then, then I don't know, I felt obligated to do so. Well, as, as always, we just appreciate you giving us the platform and being yeah. champions for them yeah. in turn and taking a chance on your horse Yeah, because for, for a lot of horses, it's, there were many stops before ending up at the kill pen yeah. where multiple people gave up on them. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people all the time, I poke fun out of it, but my, my horse is branded like a inmate. I mean, he's got brands all over him. <laughs> People that have owned That's him, you know. That's never a good sign. Yeah. Uh, I know that now, but at the time, I'm like, wow, man, there's a lot of people that wanted this horse. When, in fact, there's probably a lot of people that didn't want the horse. But um, <laughs> he's here with us. I have never branded him. I will never brand him. He's got enough. My horse is the big yellow one with everybody else's brand on it. And that's how we pick him out of the crowd. You know what's funny? I'm a yellow <laughs> horse girl, too. I try, I try not. Most of my best rescues are bays, blacks. Sorrels, yeah. because There's everyone so overlooks them. them. Yeah, but I'm st- I'm still a snob for a beautiful Palomino in yeah. Appaloosa. The big old blonde bomber, man, he's a great, yep. great dude. That's, that's well, awesome. Well, Kate, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for all of your contributions. Um, it's been an exciting hour. If there's anything that we can do to support you, your mission, your endeavor, please do not hesitate to reach out. And and I cannot thank you enough for all that you've done, not only for the Western industry, for Let Freedom Rain podcast, for but for all those horses that that just needed that second chance. Well, thank you, Jason, for always giving all of us a voice and a platform and just take care of your big yellow horse. (laughs) All righty. We'll talk to you down the road. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation, and it costs less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding, to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.